Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Many thanks to all of you joining us live for this policy seminar, and thanks to those of you who are watching this recording. My name is Hazel Malapit, Senior Research Coordinator at IFPRI, and I'm very pleased to welcome you to today's special event, introducing a brand new tool called the Women's Empowerment Metric for National Statistical Systems. Throughout today's seminar, we will be referring to this metric by its acronym, WEMNS, which we pronounce as WOMEN'S for short. WOMEN'S is a streamlined tool for measuring women's empowerment intended for use in large-scale multi-topic surveys conducted by national statistical systems. And as a co-developer of WOMEN'S, I'm proud to say we have a huge team behind this work from IFPRI, Emory University, Oxford University, and the World Bank's Living Standards Measurement Study Unit, in collaboration with our country partners and the 50 by 2030 initiative. We also acknowledge funding support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the United States Agency for International Development. Today, we will learn more about the women's tool, how it was developed and how it can be used to monitor and advance women's empowerment globally. We're excited to hear from you throughout the event. So to participate in our Q&A session, please submit your questions on ifpri.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using hashtag AskIfPri on Twitter. To get us started, we will hear from Johan Swinnen, Managing Director of the CGIR Systems Transformation Science Group and Director General at IFPRI, who will provide opening remarks. Yo, over to you. Thanks very much, Hazel. It's a great pleasure for me to be here with you today to um, to officially launch the Women's Empowerment Metric for National Statistical Systems, or, or WOMEN'S. It's easier to pronounce as the long uh, title. Um, so I think this is a, a major step in the long-running strategy to come up with measurement and metrics for empowerment, for gender empowerment, particularly in agriculture and, and beyond. So the first uh, indicator was launched in 2012. That was the Women's Empowerment and Agricultural Index, the WEA Index, as I'm sure all of you are, are familiar with. Uh, since then, many governments, funders, policymakers, and researchers have used this index <clears throat> both to diagnose the sources of disempowerment and also to design programs to deal with it to enhance empowerment. WEA was the first comprehensive and standardized measure to directly measure women's empowerment and, and inclusion in the agricultural sector. Since then, this uh, index has been very widely used. So today, about more than 250 organizations, more than 60 countries are using the indicator or for, um, variations of the indicator in their analysis and programming. So we've had several versions of or extensions of WEA seen developing in the, the past decade. And today we see a major step going forward, I think. As with all measures um, and measurement and indicators, once you start implementing them and looking carefully, there's always things that can be improved. And so WEA and its uh, extensions or its variations are, are no different. And so two aspects were considered uh, areas where we could make significant improvement. One was the, the length of the instrument in terms of implementation. And the second one had to do with the limited nature or, or coverage, if you want, of off-farm and non-farm employment. We know that as part of structural transformation, both men and women often take jobs outside the agricultural sector. And it's really important if we think about uh, empowerment measures that you capture that correctly and integrate it uh, very well into the measurement that you try to do. 
So that's really two important areas where the new indicator is trying to improve on. Women's has been designed to measure uh, empowerment across different types of livelihoods, both urban and rural, and agriculture and non-agriculture. And so by widening the scope and also by reducing the length of the instrument, we believe that women can be used on large-scale multi-topic surveys and can really improve the, the, the measurement in a broader livelihood setting. There's a number of, of uh, methodological improvements as well. So uh, it will use 12 indicators actually. And so it's mapped in four domains, uh, several related to different concepts of agency. I'm not gonna go into this. I'm, I'm sure this will be explained in more detail. It's also using what's called a counting-based uh, methodology. Again, I'm, I'm gonna refer to the specialist to, to detail you on, on what that means uh, specifically. Uh, an additional bonus and an important bonus, I think, that women's has been designed to be consistent with the SDG indicators, so it can be used for SDG monitoring, and I think that's an, an important uh, enhancement as well. As I mentioned already, it's a, it's a shorter instrument than, than WEA. Uh, it can be administered around 15 minutes, actually. It's been pilot tested in several countries, in, in, in Bangladesh, Guatemala, Malawi, Nepal, and so based on that, adjustments have been made to come to the, the final version. Maybe important to mention as well is that it has been developed in new metrics um, as part of uh, the 50 by 230 initiative, so it will be an empowerment module within the 50 by 230 initiative surveys. And so this initiative, as I think many of you know, is there to build capacity and close the, the data gap in 50 countries by 2030. It's implemented through a partnership with uh, IFAD, with FAO and, and the World Bank. And so countries participating in the 50 by 230 initiatives can use the women's uh, module in, in the surveys. So uh, with that, I, um, I am just gonna hand it over to the panel. Uh, we will hear from, from our team members who have developed it, but also the partners in countries we will be working with and hopefully will use the indicator about details, uh, of course, about the methodology that's been used, the improvements, uh, but also about the experiences in piloting and the potential for influencing policy. And so I am really excited about this new development, as I say, in this long run strategy of improve, improving measurements uh, of empowerment and therefore also to improve empowerment itself. So with that, uh, Hazel, happy to give it back to you, and I really look forward to the presentations. Fantastic! Thank you so much, Yo, for for your for your inspiring remarks and for your support all throughout uh, this initiative. And um, I think that was a wonderful framing, um, telling us about how this fits in the bigger picture uh, of systems transformation. So um, let's now turn to the women's tool itself. So first, let's start with some context from Agnes Kisumbing, Senior Research Fellow at the Poverty, Gender, and Inclusion Unit, followed by Ruth Meinzendick, Senior Research Fellow at the Natural Resources and Resilience Unit. Over to you, Agnes. Thank you very much, Hazel. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good day, um, everyone all over who's listening in. So today we officially launched the Women's Empowerment Metric for National Statistical Systems. Next slide, please. Our presentation today will have two parts. Um, Ruth and I will talk about the concept behind measuring empowerment and the process behind the development of women's. And Jessica and Greg will talk about the instrument itself and the pilot index. Next slide, please. Uh, next slide. 
Okay, so for the first part, I think it's useful to review what measuring empowerment means. Next slide. So our, our definition of empowerment um, draws upon Naila Kabir's definition, which talks about agency, resources, and achievements as components of empowerment. Um, empowerment being the process by which um, a person is able to make strategic life decisions, especially in contexts where this ability was denied. And so we have resources, which are material, so human and social resources. We have achievements, the achievements of one's goals. And then we have agency, the capacity to define these goals and to make strategic choices to, to pursue them. We draw on our experience in WEA where we focus on the agency measures. Why do we do this? We do this because when it was developed, there were already indicators, methodologies, and tools that measured resources and measured achievements. We know how to measure different types of resources, like physical capital, human capital, social capital. We know how to measure achievements like yields, profits, expenditures, and nutritional status. But we didn't know how to measure agency. So there was a deliberate decision to focus on agency in developing the WEA and the subsequent sets of indicators for empowerment. Next slide, please. So the question is, why even attempt to measure something that's intangible, like empowerment? And here it's very useful to draw on um, the words of Tony Atkinson, who was a poverty measurement pioneer. In his last book, he talked about the power of poverty metrics. And he said that metrics matter if they motivate, if they monitor, and if they shape policy. The elevation of women's empowerment as gender equality to an SDG recognizes the intrinsic value of both and gives us the responsibility to monitor it. It also creates a demand for indicators so that we can monitor it properly. Next slide, please. So the question is, we have where, why do we need to develop women's? There has indeed been tremendous growth in women's empowerment metrics since 2010. Um, the WEA, which was launched in 2012, has had several adaptations, and these have now been used by 255 organizations in 61 countries as of February 2024, this month. But the big limitation is that WEA is limited to agriculture, and as economies transform, people, women and men, are going to leave agriculture. The questionnaire is still very long, and it wasn't specifically aligned to SDG monitoring. Next slide, please. So bearing that in mind, um, our efforts to measure empowerment really have focused on unpacking agency. And we bring this forward in developing women. So when we developed ProWEA, we drew on theories of agency and we covered three domains, intrinsic agency, the power within, instrumental agency, the power to, and collective agency, the power with. And you will see as we, introduce women's how these three aspects of agency are reflected in the structure of women's with an additional bonus, which you will find out later. Um, over to you, Ruth. Thank you. Um, so in, in preparing women's, which is still a work in progress, but we really have have uh, 
there's been a lot of progress on this in developing this lean instrument. And I've, we've already mentioned the partners in this um, and the alignment with the 50 by 2030 initiative to close the agricultural data gap. This is a multi-partner effort and we're really trying to bridge not just the global agricultural data gap that, well, the, the 50 by 30 initiative is to bridge the agricultural data gap by transforming country data systems across 50 countries in Africa, Asia, the Middle East, and Latin America by 2030. The, 50 by, uh, the, the women's adds on to that an instrument that's aligned with the SDG 5 on women's empowerment and gender equality, as well as other relevant SDGs. It is suitable for use by national, it's designed to be suitable for use by nat national statistical systems and other multi-topic household surveys. So uh, as a complement to that, next, um, we have this partnership uh, with IFPRI, 50 by 2030, the World Bank's LSMS team, Living Standards Measurement Systems, University of Oxford and Emory, as well as really important partnership with the country teams of data analysis and technical assistance in Bangladesh, Vox Latina in Guatemala, National Statistical Office in Malawi, and interdisciplinary analysts in Nepal. They provided a lot of the practical grounding as we tried to roll out the various um, instruments. And on the next slide, the process of developing women started with these virtual uh, a series of stakeholder consultations, mostly virtual. Um, these were, uh, we talked to 70 individual interviews with national stakeholders from different ministries, from um, uh, government departments, research organizations, and in 28 Africa, 28 of these interviews in Africa, 22 in Latin America, and 20 in Asia. And then we had a group meeting in Africa as well, and an online meeting with a group of stakeholders sort of globally to identify priorities for what to measure. Then we reviewed the SDG indicators and targets. We developed a, a first draft of the questionnaire. We had a virtual workshop to discuss that with the various stakeholders and then chose the pilot countries of Bangladesh, Malawi, and Nepal. In each country, we did cognitive interviews to make figure out whether these questions were working, how they were being understood, and then piloting the questionnaire through a two-wave rounds of phone surveys, because this was still in the COVID era. Um, then we added Guatemala as a pilot country and had one one wave of phone surveys in Guatemala. Did psychometric analysis in between and after the two rounds of the phone surveys. Used that to revise the questionnaire and put it into a face-to-face -face survey in late 2022 in Bangladesh, Malawi, and Nepal, and early 23 
in Guatemala. Then we did both psychometric validation and index construction. Now, with all of that, drum roll, please. I'll hand it over to um, Hazel to introduce our, our uh, index presenters. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, uh, Agnes and Ruth, for really setting the context and for that for that introduction around the process of development. Um, just a reminder to our audience to please continue to submit your questions on ifpre.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using uh, hashtag AskIfpre on Twitter. You may come to more questions once you hear more about the index, and we'll try to cover as many questions as we can in our Q&A. Um, so next, we will hear from Jessica Heckert, Research Fellow at the Poverty, Gender, and Inclusion Unit, followed by Greg Seymour, Research Fellow at the Natural Resources and Resilience Unit, who will provide more details on the Women's Survey Instrument and Pilot Index. Over to you, Jessica. Thank you, Hazel. And this by uh, presenting our, our survey instrument and talking a bit about the development of the metrics. So in our next slide, how did we get from um, a survey, uh, you know, a survey module, a survey instrument to this multidimensional index that Greg's gonna share with you shortly? We aim to balance three major components. Those were country-specific relevance, making sure that everything made sense in each of our target countries comparability to ensure that we could compare these indicators um, within countries, across countries, and across time, and as well as validity. Um, to do so, we used a variety of methodological approaches. Quickly summarizing them, they included um, fieldwork experiences, feedback from our survey teams and enumerators, psychometric analysis, consultations with experts, stakeholders, um, the expertise of our national statistical offices and other partners, quantitative analysis, cognitive interviewing, as well as having this all well-informed by normative theory. I'm not gonna get into the details of all these different methodological approaches, but I will point you to this link in our right, in the bottom right-hand corner, which will show up on our, our last slide again of this presentation, but uh, there are a whole set of um, methodological pieces that are slowly coming out and are, are being posted on there. In our next slide, um, I'm gonna share with you the, um, the, a, a quick summary of what this questionnaire looks like, as well as the indicators that are constructed from it and how these link to, to the sustainable development goals and some specific targets within them. So, on the left-hand side, our survey modules addressed issues related to paid and unpaid activities, participation and leadership, life transition and awareness of rights, financial services and credit, property ownership, decision-making, information and communication technology, as well as um, sexual harassment at the community level. So from each of these modules, we, uh, we calculated one are very often multiple indicators that were that were um, that were linked to these survey modules. As Ruth described earlier, we also went into what as we developed this questionnaire, we mapped uh, we identified within the SDGs and specific targets 
components that were that were linked to women's empowerment and um, and gender equality. Of course, SDG five focuses on this specifically, but a lot of other indicators have uh, specific components that link uh, that link to women's empowerment and gender equality, and have a, a have that component integrated into them. So you can see from the right hand column how that mapping lays out. In our next slide, I wanna to touch briefly on our conceptual justification of um, these four areas of agency and how they map to um, women specifically and the women's indicators. So I'm gonna start on our bottom left-hand side in the orange with instrumental agency and the power to. This is sort of, this is often the most intuitive to people. So instrumental agency is the ability to make important household decisions, and it's the most commonly used measure of agency. If a survey wants to you know, put in one question on women's empowerment, they'll put something in about household decision-making. We've expanded the focus on instrumental agency to include other aspects of instrumental agency, such as um, choices about time allocation and the ability for individuals to um, have control over how they use their time. Next is intrinsic agency. Um, sorry, I didn't want to advance that slide, go back. I was just going to another. Thank you. Um, so next for intrinsic agency, um, that's power within. This is the idea that assessing one's power requires, requires critical consciousness and awareness of inequalities. Um, and critical reflection allows us to become aware of the ability to, to make choices and, and, and change lives. Collective agency or power within, this is another critical component of women's empowerment, but it moves it beyond the household. So. Um, you know, focusing on the power of the collective. Uh, and this is really important because there's been considerable investment in group-based um, approaches to, um, to women's empowerment and, and development outcomes in general um, over recent years. And finally, our fourth area is agency enabling resources. And these are the material, human, and social resources that enhance individuals' ability to exercise choice. As a whole, this conceptual justification is grounded in, in theoretical approaches by Nyla Kabir, Joe Rollins, Paulo Freire, et cetera. Um, so moving to our next slide, these are our women's um, component indicators. So within each of these four domains, there are three um, indicators. Some of these, as you'll see later, have sub-indicators that comprise them, but I'm just gonna address them at the indicator level. Um, under instrumental agency, again, in the bottom left, an orange, we have influence over time allocation, influence in spending decisions, and influence in own health decisions. In intrinsic agency, we have endorsement of women's freedom and livelihood choices, endorsement of women's freedom and family formation, and rejection of women's subjugation to sexual harassment. You'll see that all three of these are indicated with an asterisk, as well as one of our collective agency indicators, that those are applicable only to women. Um, our reasoning for that is this is um, awareness of women's rights. Um, men's, men's perceptions or men's awareness of women's rights may be important, but it's not necessarily an indicator of their own intrinsic agency. So those aren't um, part of women's for, for men. Um, collective agency, we focus on participation in organizations, leadership in organizations, and support for women's community engagement. And then under agency enabling resources, 
We focus on use of, inform use of information and communication technologies, use of financial services and access to credit, as well as secure property rights. You may look at this and say, wow, this is a lot of information. Um, how long does it take to collect this module? And that would be an excellent question to ask. Um, in general, uh, we across our four pilot countries, uh, among women who have more questions, this is taking a little less than 15 minutes. Some of the um, some of the survey groups we worked with have an approach that takes a, a little longer uh, to build rapport, et cetera, and that's fine. But in general, this is you know a little less than 15. Where to you, Greg? Thanks. Can we go to the next slide? Okay, thanks. Uh, so how does women's measure empowerment? So like Yo mentioned um, earlier, women's uses a accounting-based uh, methodology. So in the first step, we identify respondents as constrained or unconstrained in each of the indicators that um, Jessica just showed you and are, and are shown here um, uh, based on indicator uh, specific um, cutoffs. In the second step, um, well, as in the previous slides, we also showed that so we're, for women, we're considering um, 12, all 12 indicators. For men, we only consider eight of these. This is because of the way the, the questions are framed. They don't really measure um, men's empowerment in the same way. Um, so in the second step, we identify respondents as uh, empowered or disempowered based on how well they fare across all of these uh, indicators. So this requires us to assign weights. Uh, in women's, um, each domain is equally weighted and so are the indicators uh, within each domain. Um, we identify someone as empowered if they are unconstrained in a certain share of those weighted indicators. For now, at this stage, um, we're considering a range of empowerment cutoffs uh, between 60 to 70% of the weighted indicators. Once we have uh, at scale nationally representative data, we will uh, later, later this year, as I'll talk about a little bit later, we will specify an exact um, cutoff. Okay, next. Uh, so from this, we can calculate the index, uh, the women's score. Uh, so the women's score is, is based on two statistics. Um, one, um, the incidence or headcount ratio of disempowerment. This is simply um, the percentage of women or men in the sample who are disempowered. This tells us how many um, men or women are disempowered. Second, the intensity of disempowerment or um, the average share of the weighted indicators in which disempowered respondents are constrained. So here we focus just on those uh, respondents who are disempowered. This tells us, you know, how intensely are women or men in this um, population um, disempowered. To calculate uh, women's, these statistics are, are multiplied and subtracted from one. We do the latter step so that we can present women's optimistically uh, in terms of in empowerment how empowered people are rather than um, disempowerment. Uh, values uh, for women's range between zero and one, uh, where of course then higher values indicate um, greater empowerment within um, your particular uh, sample. Next slide. Okay, so to give you a better idea 
of what women's looks like um, in practice. I have a, a snapshot of results um, from our Malawi pilot survey. Keep in mind, um, this you know the pilot was not a nationally representative survey, so these results should not be taken as representative of empowerment in Malawi as a whole, but rather sharing them just as an illustration of the methodology and its potential applications. So with this caveat in mind, what can women um, tell us about uh, empowerment in this particular scene? So through the lens of women's, we see that women are substantially less empowered than men. We see this both in terms of the incidence of, of disempowerment. So 88.6% of women are disempowered um, compared to 59.7% of men. Uh, we also see this in terms of the intensity of disempowerment. So disempowered women are on average constrained in a, a greater share of the weighted indicators than um, disempowered men. And together then, these translate into a, a, a lower women's score for women uh, in this sample than for men, 0.52 versus 0.72. So this illustrates how women's can be used to assess the overall level of empowerment within a population at a single point in time, or depending on your data, if you have panel surveys or repeated cross-sections can be used to track progress uh, on empowerment over time. So next slide. So this is another way that we can use uh, women's. So an advantage of the counting-based methodology used to construct women's is that the index can be decomposed to show how each indicator, indicator contributes to disempowerment within a given sample. So in this figure, the, um, the length of the bars um, shows the overall level of men's and women's uh, disempowerment within the sample. So as before, we can see that uh, women are more disempowered than, more disempowered than men. The colored sections um, portions of each bar show the relative contribution of each indicator to disempowerment. So looking at which indicators contribute the most is a way for us to identify, you know, what's driving disempowerment within a particular sample. Experience with the WEA uh, has shown us that information like this is very helpful as a diagnostic to uh, inform um, program design. Next slide. So in the case of our Malawi pilot, the top three contributors to disempowerment shown here, highlighted here, leadership in organizations, influence in spending decisions, and influence over time allocation are in fact the same for both women and men. So this suggests, you know, again, within this particular sample, in this context, women's and men's empowerment may be constrained by similar factors. And thus the policy solutions that we might take to increase empowerment for women and men might also be similar. Um, next slide. So before I close, I want to share just a you know a few quick thoughts about what's next um, for women. So the short-term outlook for women's is that it will be implemented um, at scale at the end of uh, this year in Liberia, Sierra, Sierra Leone, Tanzania, as part of the 50 by 2030 initiative um, to close the agricultural data gap. This is a a global um, project supported by FAO, EFAD, and World Bank and other partners um, to increase the, the quantity and quality of agricultural um, uh, survey data. Um, 
this is hopefully you know, this is uh, this is just hopefully the start, and we plan to continue engaging with uh, the initiative and country partners on scaling up women's in additional countries in, in coming years. In addition, a, a longer term goal for us is to more broadly integrate women's in um, national household surveys, such as the uh, the World Bank's um, living standards uh, measurement studies that, that Hazel mentioned earlier, and, and the LSMS team represented by Heather here is um, uh, currently, you know, considering women's as a potential um, core module of their their next phase focused on um, resilient futures, which so we're very excited about that. Um, so as others have alluded to, including women's in, um, you know, survey programs such as LSMS and as well as broader take up as part of um, uh, 50 by 2030 would go, you know, a long way to improving our ability to track global progress on SD SDG 5, as well as enable, you know, new and deeper research into the relationships between um, empowerment and, you know, other critical development outcomes. So one more slide. And so I'll just, I'll close here with just a few bullet points on where you can find more information about women's. So thank you. And then I'll turn it back over to Hazel. Thank you so much, Jessica and Greg, for walking us through the instrument, what's included, what are in the indicators, and, and for sharing some of those initial findings, which I think are, are really, really insightful. Uh, so we will now turn to our panel, who will discuss the potential for, for women's uh, for promoting and monitoring women's empowerment as part of national statistical surveys. But before we do that, again, just a reminder to continue to uh, submit your questions on the IFPRI website, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag AskIFPRI on Twitter. Okay, so now over to our panel. Uh, our first panelist is Shelton Kanyanda, Director of Agriculture and Economic Statistics at the National Statistical Office in Malawi. Shelton, the women's tool was piloted in Malawi by the NSO, and, and you have firsthand knowledge about what it's like to implement this in the field. What do you think is the potential for integrating women's into Malawi's national data collection efforts? And what support might NSO need to collect, analyze, monitor women's on a regular basis? Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, first of all, let me acknowledge that uh, the National Studies Office in Malawi uh, is very happy to, to be part and parcel of this process, uh, developing the, the WEMS uh, tool. So uh, particularly, uh, the issue of collecting data on women and women empowerment particularly uh, is quite critical. Uh, especially in countries like Malawi, which are which are developing countries. Uh, and these are countries where uh, we believe, or it is believed that women are, uh, are marginalized or they are not as empowered. So that's why uh, even the preliminary results, even if, if they are not as representative, the story is almost the same. So because of these uh, expectations, uh, there should be some deliberate effort uh, towards incorporating uh, the WIMS uh, uh, instrument into regular data collection uh, systems. Uh, for Malawi, uh, the National Statistics Office, we do have uh, a program of uh, collecting data 
So there are other surveys that are collected on monthly basis. There are other surveys that are collected uh, on quarterly basis. Uh, others are collected in three to five years uh, surveys. And of course, we have the censuses um, which are conducted almost every every 10 years. And now looking at uh, the women's uh, uh, tool, this, uh, in my view, is something that could be incorporated uh, in the surveys that are conducted within three to five years. But uh, if resources permitting, we can integrate in surveys that are collected almost annually. And then, uh, as you may have heard, uh, the, the 50 by 30 initiative, uh, we are also in discussion with the 50 by uh, 30 initiative to incorporate Malawi to be uh, a participating country. And we believe that that could also be a very good opportunity to incorporate uh, the women's, uh, women's uh, tool uh, to collect uh, the data in, 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 in that survey. But even if that fails, uh, which, I, which I understand it may not fail, but we can also incorporate in other uh, existing surveys that are already there. So uh, this process of incorporating uh, this survey into um, existing surveys, uh, I think we may need uh, some of the technical support uh, that may come from uh, IFRI or other partners. Uh, we will definitely need to have uh, the questionnaires integrated into um, other existing questions. Uh, we need to make sure the flow is correct. But also at the same time, when it comes to uh, data analysis, uh, we make need to make sure that uh, our sampling is correct. Uh, our analysis is, is, is comparable to other countries. But at the same time, uh, once we integrate, once we collect the data, uh, we also need to make sure that uh, we are able to promote the use of that data. And the, uh, uh, the partners that we are talking about, IFRI, uh, whether it's UN Women, should also help us to disseminate uh, the data uh, to be used for policy formulation. Yes, over and above all this, we definitely need resources uh, in order to uh, to conduct these surveys. So, uh, yes, we also need the financial support so that we can uh, able to conduct these surveys across the, the country. I think Malawi is also uh, uh, there's empowering local authorities uh, in the districts. So almost every district needs data of its own. And the, these are some of the uh, indicators that would be greatly required at that subnational level. And the, that will require uh, quite some, uh, some uh, considerable amount of resources. So I think that's uh, that's what I would say uh, uh, on, on your question. And the, I, I submit, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Shelton. Uh, there's so much there in what you said. I think um, it, it's great to hear there's so much potential. There's a lot of these surveys that that where it, it can be integrated in. And I'm going to come back to your point at the end about data use, because I think that's something we probably want to discuss in more detail with the rest of the panel. So thank you again, Shelton, so much. Um, let's move on to our next panelist. Uh, our next panelist is Regina Valiente, a specialist in natural resources, land and housing at the Presidential Secretariat on Women in Guatemala. 
uh, also known as Seprem. Um, we did ask, so she's here today, but we also asked Rahina to tell us about the policy focus on women's empowerment in Guatemala and how the women's tool can support these priorities. Uh, let's listen. Yes. Okay. We're just waiting on the video from CPA. Eh, muchas gracias eh, por el espacio que le dan a la Secretaría Presidencial de la Mujer. Eh, para nosotros realmente es importante estar en este espacio compartiendo con ustedes. Les quiero contar que la Secretaría es la institución asesora de, del Estado, ¿verdad? El, es la que busca asesorar las, a las instituciones públicas para poder incorporar el enfoque de equidad dentro de la política pública gubernamental. En función de esto, el tema de empoderamiento económico, principalmente de la mujer rural, ha sido un tema priorizado, ya que eh, En Guatemala, el tema de violencia contra las mujeres es un tema bastante fuerte. Somos, somos, es un problema público que ha sido colocado en la agenda pública, eh, ya que la violencia contra las mujeres es el delito más denunciado en el país, eh, teniendo una posición como uno de los países más violentos del mundo, ya que tenemos 17 homicidios por cada 100 mil habitantes. Entonces, El tema de empoderamiento económico de la mujer se ha colocado como una causa subyacente de la violencia contra las mujeres. Con esto nos ha permitido como CEPREM poder generar instrumentos de gestión pública como la Agenda de Empoderamiento Económico eh, en Guatemala y más recientemente a nivel centroamericano también se colaboró para poder generar la Agenda de Empoderamiento Económico de las Mujeres Rurales. En, esta, en este esfuerzo se hace desde el Sistema Centroamericano de Integración, en donde el Consejo de Ministras de Centroamérica hace una coordinación con los ministros de Agricultura, principalmente de Centroamérica, e inicia la agenda. Luego se van sumando algunos temas como pesca, turismo, economía, y se cuenta este con este instrumento a nivel centroamericano. Con estos dos instrumentos, se ha buscado como mejorar la oferta económica, la oferta institucional de las instituciones de Guatemala para que puedan fortalecer el empoderamiento económico, teniendo interés en temas como el empoderamiento personal, el empoderamiento organizacional, el trabajo no remunerado, el tema de cuidados, brecha digital, seguridad social, entre otras acciones. Estos temas, si ustedes ven, los mide, los mide Wemmings, Entonces, es ahí donde para nosotros es realmente importante contar con, con un instrumento como Women's, porque en nuestros países muchas veces lo que menos tenemos son data. Entonces, es difícil contar con data que nos pueda mostrar realmente la situación de las mujeres en el país, eh, qué intervenciones debemos focalizar verdad o generar y luego medir esas intervenciones que hemos desarrollado. Por lo tanto, Esta, esta estadística, ¿verdad? Esta data es para nosotros importante. Otra de, lo, de los temas importantes es que Women's ya fue probada en Guatemala y fue probada bajo un contexto local en idiomas locales. Entonces, esto nos hace 
tener un, un instrumento que ya fue validado en, en Guatemala. Por lo tanto, nosotros vemos que este, este instrumento puede ser de gran importancia para la gestión nacional y también la, la gestión regional. ¿Y qué oportunidades vemos? Pues el 50% de la población en Guatemala somos mujeres, esta ya es una oportunidad. El empoderamiento económico ya está colocado en, una, en la agenda pública como una causa subyacente de la violencia contra las mujeres, como les decía. Women's ya fue probado en Guatemala en idiomas locales y fue adaptado al contexto. Y siempre pues en nuestros países de ingresos bajos, la falta de datos para poder tomar decisiones es un tema que nos afecta principalmente eh, a, los, a los tomadores de decisiones, ¿verdad? Y el tema de, de empoderamiento económico, como lo veíamos, ya fue colocado en la agenda pública. Adicionalmente, en este momento, con un cambio de gobierno, contamos con un gobierno muy enfocado en la igualdad y la equidad. Lo vemos desde el nombramiento de su gabinete, en donde creo que por primera vez en la historia de Guatemala tenemos un gabinete bastante equitativo y ha mostrado en su política pública que la transversalización de, de la igualdad es uno de sus ejes principales de la gestión pública. Por lo que vemos que es un momento oportuno para poder generar alianzas en donde podamos colocar a Women's como una estadística aprobada, como una estadística que nos da data para tomar decisiones y que ya ha sido trabajada en Guatemala. Eh, muchas gracias. Muchas gracias, Regina. Thank you so much for your insights. Um, that point you made about violence against women is really striking, and it, it's great to hear that equity is, is a high-level priority for the Guatemalan government. Um, so let's move on. Up next, we have Heather Moylan, Senior Economist in the World Bank's Living Standards Measurement Study Unit, or LSMS. Heather, do we have you on screen? My video is on. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, so Heather, I'm sure uh, many of those in the audience are familiar with the LSMS, which is of course the World Bank's flagship household survey program. So tell us a bit more about the efforts made within LSMS to enhance gender related data collection and how do you envision uh, the women's tool contributing to these efforts? Great, thank you. Hi everyone. Um, thanks so much Hazel for the question and also for including us uh, in the panel. Um, so I'll be sharing some thoughts and reflections on behalf of several of my colleagues that are part of the LSMS team and have been part of the women's collaboration. Um, and so that includes Talib Kilich, Wilbert Vundradrazi, Alberto Zedza, and Sydney Gorlay. Um, so as the LSMS, we've been thrilled to be a part of the development of the women's tool. And although the initial pilots to incorporate the women's tool will be part of the farm survey supported by the 50 by 2030 initiative, as Greg was mentioning earlier, the long-term goal is, of course, to promote the integration of women's more broadly in national household surveys, whereas where the LSMS interest lies. So I think many of you are probably familiar with the work of the LSMS, um, but as Hazel said, we're the flagship household survey program. Uh, we're housed in the development data group at the World Bank, and we're focused on strengthening household survey systems in low and middle income countries and improving the quality of household survey data to ultimately better inform development policies. 
Um, so this year we've actually been celebrating the 15 year anniversary of one of our core initiatives, uh, which has been the LSMS Integrated Surveys on Agriculture Project or the LSMS ESA. And with this, we've provided long-term financial and technical assistance to eight countries in Africa, one of those actually being Malawi and working closely with Shelton. Um, and we've produced, we've produced nationally and regionally representative longitudinal multi-topic household surveys. So Hazel was asking about our efforts specifically on gender data. And so as part of the LSMS, we've traditionally supported surveys to collect gender de disaggregated data on some of the more traditional topics. So health, education, labor, also agriculture is part of the LSMS ESA initiative. Um, but in recent years, we've also been expanding this uh, to ownership of and rights to assets. And that's been through projects such as the LSMS Plus. So the LSMS Plus, which we kicked off in 2016, um, collected intra-household, self-reported, individual disaggregated survey data on assets and employment. We worked in six countries, and we were essentially scaling up international recommendations that were developed under the UN EDGE in initiative with support from LSMS. One of the, the main outputs from the LSMS Plus uh, was an operational guidance note. So kind of thinking through the key elements of implementing individual interviews. So we covered topics such as respondent selection, fieldwork protocol, interview setting, among, among many others. And these recommendations have been really helpful to inform the women's pilots and also will be helpful um, going forward when we pilot with uh, 50 by 2030. So with all of that context and background in mind, um, as, as Greg mentioned earlier, so we really do see the LSMS as a potential platform for women's data collection. Including women's in multi-topic household surveys has many advantages. Um, of course, uh, we collect information um, and now can link the women's to other critical data, such as consumption data, nutrition information, and non-monetary -wel non welfare measures. Um, and more specifically, incorporating women's into large-scale longitudinal surveys, such as those supported by the LSMS, um, will also allow for a better understanding of the process of empowerment over time. And this is especially in view of climate, health and fragility, or conflict-related shocks. So as I mentioned earlier, we're celebrating the 15-year anniversary of LSMS ESA. And with this, we're also in the process of conceptualizing what the new phase of our program of longitudinal surveys will look like, and that will be called Resilient Futures. At a high level, the objective of Resilient Futures will be to build longitudinal data systems uh, to to boost crisis preparedness and foster resilience. We'll start off in 15 countries, of course, as always, in close collaboration with NSOs and building on our existing efforts to expand longitudinal surveys. In this new phase, we'll expand the thematic scope of data collection uh, to better measure resilience and vulnerability to shocks. And to do so, we'll have an even stronger focus on gender and individual level data. Um, and this will help to provide insights regarding heterogeneity and resilience and vulnerability, particularly among women and youth. Um, so we'll also be expanding the time horizon and the geographic coverage of the panel surveys. We'll also be deploying mixed mode survey systems to increase the frequency and timeliness of the longitudinal surveys. And this will build on our experience um, over the last several years with high frequency phone surveys that of course uh, started uh, uh, with the pandemic. Um, so as we conceptualize and mobilize resources for the Resilient Futures program, we're very much considering the women's tool for inclusion among kind of this long list of questionnaire modules that may end up as part of the recommended multi-topic questionnaire. Um, but 
of course, to make this happen, as others have been saying, this requires not only interest and willingness on the part of our partner NSOs, because we want all of this to be uh, country owned, but it also requires financial resources. So from client governments and a coalition of development partners um, that will ultimately set up and support the Resilient Futures platform. The platform is intended to be an initiative that delivers global public goods and addresses multiple data and knowledge needs, including regarding women's uh, empowerment in the polycrisis era. Um, and this process will also benefit from the experience that we'll have in the, in the next year or so of integrating the women's into the 50 by 2030 supported farm surveys. And of course, continued collaboration between the LSMS team and the women's technical partners in case of any further methodological refinements to the tool. So I'll leave my comments at that. Uh, but once again, many congratulations to all of those involved. Um, and thank you so much, Hazel. Excellent. Thank you so much, Heather. Um, these are really exciting developments, and, and we'll 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 get to a bit more of that in, in the discussion. Um we're we're almost at the QA very soon, but uh, so please keep your questions coming. We do have one final panelist. Uh, last but not least, Chiara Brunelli, statistician at the Food and Agriculture Organization. We already heard a little bit from Greg, some teaser on the scale-up plans, and we saved you for last because you are working closely with these partner countries to integrate women's in their national agricultural surveys. Um, so, but my question to you is, we have these early adopters, which is an excellent start. What do you see as the necessary next steps to scale up the implementation of women's to the other countries in the initiative beyond these early adopters? Over to you, Chiara. Thank you, Hazel. First, I'll send uh, for having us here today. Uh, yes, it's true. At the moment, FAO um, is collaborating with uh, three countries. Uh, these are Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Tanzania um, to um, include um, the women's empowerment metric in the agricultural surveys that will be conducted over the course of 2024. So we have a quite an intense program of work with these three countries that will collect data in uh, the second part of 2024 and will analyze the data over the course of 2025. In my, in my view, uh, there are, I think, four main factors that could help scaling up the implementation of uh, the women's empowerment metric in uh, other partner countries of the initiative. The first one probably is uh, the example and experience that we're going to show in these three countries. Um, certainly the experience will be instrumental for the adoption of the questionnaire in other partner countries because we would like really to demonstrate that appending a module on women's empowerment in a large scale agricultural survey is feasible. Um, particularly, we would like to demonstrate that it's possible to collect good quality data without jeopardizing the objective, the main objective of the survey. In other words, we would like really to find a good balance between the quality of the data that we're going to collect and the practicability in the field, considering that we are scaling up, so um, our uh, sample uh, will be quite large. Uh, in addition, uh, in, during our work with the three countries, uh, we would like also to demonstrate the applicability of the scale of the findings of, of our measurement for policy and program purposes. And on this, I must say that um, we are working in uh, quite uh, a, 
a privileged environment because uh, our partnership with IFAD will allow us really to uh, stress also the element of uh, data use. And uh, we will make sure, of course, in collaboration with the government bodies and our partner IFAD, that the findings that we are going to, um, to generate are also used by the national body. So I, I, I do believe that with these three examples of practicability and use of the data, also the other partner countries will, uh, will come on board. Another important element certainly uh, will be uh, the development of a technical note, which is uh, also part of our work program for 2024. We would like, in fact, uh, of course, uh, um, capitalizing on the experience with the three countries, capitalizing on the experience of, um, of the IFPRI and the World Bank team during the pilot, we would like to present a set of recommendations to our partner countries on all the steps that needs to be taken when this, the measure is integrated into a large-scale survey. Um, and, of course, we hope that we will propose, uh, again, practical and, uh, and clear instructions so that also our partner countries will be able to know what are the steps uh, to be taken. A third important element uh, from the project perspective will be to present the scale as one of the rotating questionnaires. Uh, for those of you that know the initiative, uh, you may know, you may remember that uh, normally we approach our partner countries um, suggesting to collect a core set of data on agriculture on yearly basis, and then to alternate uh, rotating questionnaires uh, with less frequency. Uh, so our intention will be to really present uh, the women's questionnaire as one of the rotating questionnaires of our methodological proposal, so that slowly, uh, especially with the new countries that haven't yet decided uh, the rotation of the questionnaires, also this questionnaire can be included. Finally, I think uh, a very good uh, um, opportunity uh, for, um, for the women's empowerment metric for us and probably for other partner countries in the future will be also um, we have decided we have um, we have decided to combine uh, the women's empowerment metric also with a, a small questionnaire regarding dietary diversity for women. Um, this addition, of course, it means more time, slightly more time in the field, but in our view, it adds value to the data that are collected through the agricultural questionnaire and the women's questionnaire. And um, normally, agricultural teams in national statistical offices are very uh, interested in uh, food security aspects and the linkages between food security and uh, agriculture. So for us, I think that uh, also the combination of the women's empowerment questionnaire with a module that is also looking at data diversity adds value to the data and uh, also raises the interest of the agricultural teams within the statistical offices. So I think these are, I think in summary, the four remarks that I would like to make. Back to you, Hazel. Thank you so much, Chiara, uh, for your remarks. And, and of course, thank you to all our speakers and panelists uh, thus far for your comments. Uh, so now we have, you. we've, you know, you've heard a lot of information. You have about, you heard about the tool, you heard about uh, our partners and plans for scale up. So now we have an opportunity to engage with our live audience and our panelists uh, will respond to as many of your questions 
um, as we can. Uh, we may consolidate your questions in the interest of time, but we will do our best. Um, I would like to invite uh, all our speakers back on, on the screen, uh, if you can. Um, so I think I, I want us to, to take a step back and maybe just start with the value added. I, you'll frame this nicely in the beginning, but we did have a question around how are African countries going to benefit out of this event? And I believe maybe they mean out of this tool. So Shelton, uh, is this something you can respond to? What is, what is the value added? What is the benefit? Yeah, so I think as I indicated in my, in my presentation, in my discussion, um, the issue of women being marginalized uh, is is quite lampant within within communities. Uh, unfortunately, most of our actions uh, are based on uh, traditional beliefs and also what may be the social norms. Uh, but this is something that needs to be uh, broken. Uh, if we break these uh, traditional beliefs, if we break these uh, norms, uh, we may need data if that is to 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 be to materialize. So uh, probably the most beneficial beneficiaries of this process are actually the African countries, uh, actually the the women in Africa, uh, and it's as we have indicated, as long as women are empowered. Uh, the general productivity of the country uh, benefits. So uh, this too is very beneficial to African countries and uh, we are likely uh, to have or uh, to see more productivity uh, from women uh, once uh, the data uh, is, is, is reflecting on what is happening on the ground. So that's my, 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 my contribution. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shelton. Uh, okay, we, we have a, a number of questions that that are a bit more technical, goes into the tool a little bit. So maybe I start with Jessica. Uh, Rama Narayanan from India asks, why was domestic violence not included? Great, thank you. Um, thank you for that question. So as Rahina highlighted um, in her in her um, great presentation, that you know, in many of these countries, um, gender-based violence and other and intimate partner violence, as well as other forms of gender-based violence, are are often very prevalent. Um, we didn't include we didn't include um, intimate partner violence specifically for a, a few reasons. One um, is that we want to keep it conceptually different than women's empowerment, and we know that these are two conceptually different areas. Additionally. Um, Women's is intended to, it, additionally, we want to think about the ethical protocols for um, data collection. So women's in, is intended to be collected from women and men or multiple members of the same household. Um, and in general, we don't, uh, the, the general, the recommended WHO guidelines are that if you're collecting data on women, on intimate partner violence, that you only collect that data from a single individual within the household so that others don't know what, that it's being asked about. Um, and that's for the motivation of, of keeping women safe. Um, and so that is not consistent with our um, approach of collecting data from multiple members of, of the household. So um, we would encourage uh, those who are interested in 
and having further information about gender-based violence and intimate partner violence in particular to collect data on that topic specifically, but that's not specifically addressed in women's. Great, thank you so much, Jessica. Um, another uh, additional questions around the tool itself. Uh, Greg, could you please explain again why certain domains are not measured for men? Uh, so there, there are a couple of questions related to this. I'll just read them and in, 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 combine them. Um, uh, Anna from Wise Responder asks, how would the comparisons between men and women change if we only use the indicators that are common across the two groups? And then Caroline from Oxford asks, if men and women are disempowered in similar, similar areas um, and similar policy measures apply for both, how can we still account for women being more disempowered? Over to you, Greg. Did you want the, the other question? Uh, so there was also a question around. Uh, oh, yes. Whether... Can women be empowered in some domains and disempowered for others? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, these are great questions. Um, so yes, like, a, like we um, mentioned in the um, presentation, there's um, four indicators that we um, only calculate for women not for men. These are all tied to that concept that Jessica mentioned around critical consciousness, you know, awareness of um, inequalities that is a, a key um, component of um, agency. So with that in mind, we don't have, you know, the, the questionnaire included questions around, um, you know, critical consciousness, consciousness for women. We, we, that's uh, imperative because we often see, um, you know, that you, you can conceive of, of situations where, you know, awareness of these inequalities isn't, um, isn't present for women. Um, for men, we see this as less of a, um, you know, practical reality. Um, you could certainly, and we can, and we will, you know, you can, you could, you know, frame the questions for, for men's um, critical consciousness and, and, and conduct them in the, implement them in the same way. We didn't see that as uh, important uh, enough to, um, it complicates the, the data collection and increases the time of the interview. And so we, we made that cut. Um, Okay, thank oh, you yeah. so much. Oh, I'm yes. Gonna, I'm oh, you're still, okay. Yeah. So we, so when we, um, and yes, so when we look at the, um, um, in the comparisons I presented, we are uh, in in some of, so in some of the comparisons, not those that we didn't present, we do you know restrict restricted to just look at those indicators where um, when you know that are shared from women, women and men. Um, uh, it's you know we we are we're looking at the pilot data and we you know so we we didn't go into all of those. We just showed one case from Malawi, but you know in general, even when we you know regardless of you know whether we Look at all the indicators are just the ones where there's overlap. Women are, you know, more disempowered than um, uh, than than men, and so that's you know similar. Um, the case we showed from Malawi was was just one, you know, snapshot. If you actually look across the other three pilot countries, you see that the you know the factors that are driving men's and women's disempowerment are um, you know quite different. There's some overlap, but it's not always the same factors. Um, that are, you know, that account for men's and women's disempowerment. And this is, a, you know, this, this is also true of kind of our experience with WEA. Um, and so on the last question about, you know, so can women be empowered in some domains and disempowered in others? 
Exactly. Yeah, that's what we're doing. That's we think of empowerment and agency as a as, as multidimensional. So of course, yes, there's going to be, um, you know, someone can have uh, maybe more empowered within their household, making spending decisions, having control over income, um, making decisions about how to spend their time, but less uh, empowered outside of the household, and that's going to come through, you know, in the, maybe the collective agency indicators. And so that's. Yes, we talk about people being unconstrained or constrained in the indicators, but we do expect and, and often you know, the pilots show this um, that, you know, the across the different domains and indicators, people's experience um, varies um, quite a bit. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Greg. And so sorry for, for jumping in too early over there. Um, uh, uh, let me come to, to Chiara now. Um, we, we have a couple of questions around future plans. So one from Magala Fred, do you have any future plans to extend surveys and service in East Africa, particularly where the economy depends on agriculture and women provide the biggest labor force? And then Krista Jacobs from Landesa asks, are there plans or, or opportunities to collect this data in, in urban or peri-urban areas to more fully support data for SDG 1.4? Maybe uh, Heather can also touch on this if you have more to add, but Kiara first and then and then Heather, if you have anything to add. Thank you so much for the questions. Um, yeah, in, um, in terms of scaling up and uh, mainstreaming the women's measure uh, in the 50 by 2030 countries, uh, of course, uh, um, we work in the countries that are already our partner, and uh, we will also expand the list of countries that uh, we collaborate with in the future. At the moment, uh, we do have a presence in Eastern Africa, um, particularly um, if it com comes up to my mind, Tanzania, Ethiopia, um, they might, there, is, there, are, there is also Malawi that is, um, that is going to start soon. So we have a presence in Eastern Africa and we are planning actually to, extend, to expand it, uh, but I don't have yet, let's say, the list of new Eastern African countries that uh, will join in the next years. But certainly uh, in the new countries that will join, as I mentioned before, what I would like to, what we would like to do is to present the questionnaire, the, the women's questionnaire, as one of the rotating questionnaires that is part of our methodology, so that countries can also apply this questionnaire in the same way as they apply the other thematic questionnaires. Regarding urban and peri-urban, yes, maybe this is something on which uh, maybe either can also come, come on board. Uh, the 50 by 2030 initiative works with uh, farm surveys, so uh, our Reference population are farms operated by households and non-household entities. As a consequence, our coverage uh, of urban and peri-urban areas is normally limited because in those areas, normally uh, the contribution of agriculture is quite limited. Um, but of course, uh, the moment uh, the metric is integrated in household surveys, then as a consequence, also those areas will be better covered. Back to you, Ezel. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chiara. Um, next, I have some a question for Agnes. Um, can women be used in other settings beyond agriculture as their main livelihoods? Uh, and um, from Caroline, if we work on women in the agricultural sector, is WEA still our go-to measure or is it women's? Thank, thank um, you, Hazel. Um, women's was designed to to be able to capture um, other livelihoods and not just agriculture. And this was done quite deliberately. 
This was done, uh, we did this because we know that in the process of structural transformation, people are going to be diversifying their livelihoods um, in terms of, you know, getting out of agriculture, moving to non-farm enterprises. And one of the drawbacks in the early versions of women's was that women ended being, or women or men ended up being classified as disempowered if they were not in agriculture. And we know that, that, the, that the economy is transforming. So yes, um, women's will be um, or is actually applicable to all sorts of livelihoods, whether ur rural or urban. Um, when we tested, when we piloted women's in the face-to-face -face survey, we had urban and rural samples as well. Now, um, to Caroline's question about whether or not um, we should be using women's or or where um, if if you're really focusing on the agricultural sector, I guess the question is what is the purpose of your study? If you're doing an impact evaluation, um, our recommendation would still be to use Prowea because that's going to be very detailed and will get at a lot of the outcomes that you're very interested in measuring. If you're looking at something that you want to do a broad sweep, then women's is the way to go, especially if you're budget budget constrained and you want to have a large sample. Um, thanks. Thank you, Hazel. Thank you so much, Agnes. Um, so I'll come to you next, Ruth, um, just to come back to this question around context. So Peter Mation asks, how does one adapt the questions, concepts, and analytical approaches to give meaningful results in profoundly different social cultural country contexts? Oh, I get the easy question. Um, <laughs> so thank you, though. We've really uh, done a lot. We purposely selected our pilot countries to include different contexts. And we were building on quite a bit of prior qualitative work in these contexts. We also did cognitive testing to make sure that the questions made sense to people in each of these contexts. There are always trade-offs when you're trying to do something that provides comparability across contexts. So um, if it's for national statistical systems, then you know we've done our best to come up with something that is comparable. If you were doing a more detailed study, it would be good to complement this with additional qualitative work perhaps, or, or if you were interested in particular topics, you might go into more depth um, on some of those topics with, uh, more tailored questions. So I think we this is primarily for national statistical systems. However, I, I see the real potential for using it in other kinds of research. And for that, I think um, linking this to, to more in-depth um, questions tailored to the context would be the way to go. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ruth. Um, um, we have, I wanted to come back to, to some of the, 
you know, what's needed for scale up. And, and I think Shelton touched on this in the beginning, but I think all of our panelists um, will probably have something to say around this on what are the plans for capacity building for relevant policymakers to translate the, da the data collection and analysis into policies, local and national, because I think that's an essential component uh, of this activity. So maybe uh, who wants to go first? I see, is it uh, Shelton first? And then... Uh, We'll see whoever wants to jump next. Yeah, I, actually, from for 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 Shelton, for Malawi, for the NSOs, I think we are. That's the demand that we would want uh, support. So we'll definitely see that uh, uh, once we collect the data, we we'll need uh, support. To analyze, we need support uh, to translate the analyzed data, uh, make policy briefs out of it, and also uh, try to bank those uh, for the relevant institutions, for the relevant policymakers to make use of this data. So we are we are looking forward to to that process. I think once we start uh, integrating this this tool into the uh, existing surveys, let us uh, consider uh, building capacity on the users and how they are going to interpret this. Um, I'm already thinking that uh, the minister of uh, ministries of gender, which we have in, in 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 our country, they need to be on board. They need to to make sure they are using this and the and it's part and parcel uh, of the understanding the whole process. Thank you. I submit. Thank you, Shelton. Uh, anyone else want to add to this one? Um, yes. 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 Rahina, please. Okay. In Guatemala, in this moment, uh, uh, the new government. Uh, um, in the teams, the empowerment, the woman is a priority. But the uh, starting the political public in the empowerment, the woman is an opportunity. But is uh, is priority uh, starting the the conversation uh, with the new government. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you, Regina. So it sounds like this would be indeed quite welcome. Kiara, you wanted to add more? Yeah, just very quickly. Uh, of course, uh, in our countries, we will uh, try to be as participatory as possible from the start. So, um, of course, uh, um, all the relevant counterparts, uh, uh, the various ministries uh, of health, gender, social justice will be involved in uh, the presentation of the questionnaire. Uh, presentation and potential expansion, because we have already received uh, some requests, particularly from Sierra Leone, to also expand to specific teams that are of interest of the country. So this is something that is already, let's say, part of our, uh, our work, our way of working. In addition, uh, as I mentioned quickly before, um, the initiative is composed of three pillars, uh, research, data production, and, and data use. Um, our partner agency, IFAD, is uh, uh, leading the data use effort, and uh, certainly the moment the findings uh, will be uh, generated, we will, we will be working very closely with them to make sure that uh, the national stakeholders are informed, they're able to understand uh, the findings, and then to use. Uh, so, um, let's say this will be part of a sort of interagency effort and, of course, capacity development.
involvement with uh, the relevant ministries. Back to you, Isel. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to check in on Heather, if there was anything else you wanted to add on this. Sure, yeah, no, happy to come in quickly. Um, yeah, so I mean, as always with all of the, the partner countries that we work in, whenever we're designing the, you know, in the last 15 years, the LSMS ESA survey that will go to the field and the future, the resilient futures, of course, it's always a collaboration with both in-country and international stakeholders when we're designing this questionnaire. We know that a lot of this data is in high demand, so we want to have everyone kind of aware of what will be collected. So I think one of one of the areas also going into the future is just this this issue that you know there's a lot of great data out there, but then there's this gap between you know data being available and calculated, um, but then actually getting people to use it. So I think that this is a very relevant question, and it's great that it's being discussed in such depth uh, during during today's session because if if people aren't using the data and actually using it to inform policy, um, then then you know it's kind of an investment that is lost. So it's very much with resilient futures going into the future. Um, that's one of the areas where we really want to put more emphasis on thinking more about, you know, data visualization and more innovative ways of communicating this data to policymakers. Thank you. Um, excellent. Thank, thank you so much, Heather, for bringing that up. And I, I did want to segue, since we're talking about capacity, there's co sort of capacity in SOs, in NSOs, in the countries, among policymakers. But then there's also capacity, like among, you know, uh, young professionals and students and who are, you know, starting to work on this. So I wanted to ask uh, someone from the team uh, who wants, who may want to jump in. For students who are interested in using this tool for dissertation field work, um, any advice around securing funding opportunities uh, to use women's and WEA in target countries and are happy tools available. Uh, Agnes, did you want to come in? I'll, I'll start off, but then I'll hand, hand off to Ruth because she's also been very, she's been quite involved in capacity building around the WEA, um, and especially around graduate students. So one of the reasons I think why um, WEA had very um, fast uptake in the beginning is that we use the pilot data and really analyze it and um, we're able to get some interesting papers out of that. In fact, Greg Seymour was one of our dissertation fellows for the WEA. And um, so I think one thing is to make the uh, you know professors and um, graduate students aware that um, the data from the pilots are going to be um, you know publicly available on the WEA Resource Center. Um, now, for dissertation students who have their own funding, um, these, the data are available, so you don't have to do your own field work for them. And but if you you do want to do field work, then um, I would suggest you know you look for your own sources of funding first because we don't have that. However, the CAPI tools will be available in a month or two um, publicly. Um, we have a consultant who's working with us right now to to do that. Um, Ruth, do you want to take over um, answer the rest of this? I think you covered much of it, but like with Wea. Um, we do have um, the in a we do encourage the use of the pilot data, but with Wea, one of the first PhD students who applied Wea um, won a, an award for her dissertation, and so by collecting by adding this to your own data um, studies that you collect, you'll have you'll be able to do more tailored work on it. So we do really encourage you to, to use the instrument and collect new data. It doesn't have to be um, 
uh, everywhere. And uh, it's it's cheap to add because it's a relatively short module. So I think there's a lot of scope for for students and also for you know research teams from various countries to start using this uh, the instrument as well as the data that gets collected and hopefully as as these new countries get nationally representative data um, that there will be an explosion I hope of analyses of this data. We do have we are doing a distance learning module on how to collect the data that we will be making available for those who want to collect it on their own or to really understand the underlying principles of why certain questions are included. Great. Thank, thank you, Ruth. Um, we, we have a, a, a question here around um, what is the number of observations for the pilot surveys in Malawi and Guatemala? Um, and I'm going to look to either Jessica or Greg for this. What, where were these pilots focused in some municipalities or entire countries? And maybe I'm going to tag on uh, my uh, another question for you around if you could say just a little bit more around intersectionality and, and why this particular methodology might be helpful because Shelton did touch on the importance of subnational data here. Jessica? Yeah, of course. So I'll kind of start with the um, last half of that question and then integrate um, my response and integrate the two responses. So um, one of the important and, and really exciting um, applications of this methodology is that we don't just get a headline number for across the country like we would if we used um, some sort of, um, you know, aggregate information that was available about, you know, across different surveys. We can break down um, in different population subgroups that those can be differences in rural and urban areas, differences by district, differences by age or married women versus unmarried women, or it can be differences by um, different ethnic groups, depending on if that's um, a relevant question in, in the country. So um, the overall methodology does allow us to have an intersectionality lens, particularly if we approach data collection with that in mind. Um, so in each of the countries, our samples are, um, are for the face-to-face -face surveys are approximately 800 households and data were collected by, uh, from women and men within each of those households. So you get two respondents for a total sample size of around 1,600 per country. Uh, in Malawi, we split up that data collection um, across three diverse districts in, um, in Malawi. In the case of Guatemala, we really felt like our burden of proof was, can we do this well in the indigenous languages of Latin America? Not just Spanish, but thinking about um, indigenous languages in, in these regions as well, because often we were under the impression, um, we sort of collectively, um, that uh, these are the most disempowered women in the country for, for many reasons. So in Guatemala, we focused our um, focused our sample on some key municipalities with a high um, with a high pre prevalence of um, uh, Quiche and Quechi language speakers. Those are two of the most common um, indigenous languages spoken in Guatemala, and so that is going to allow us to um, do further analysis um, to um, to better understand differences between these two groups. 
uh, differences between ind the indigenous population and non-indigenous population, and um, and to uh, and to um, you know focus. Anyway, we spent a lot of effort into improving the quality of uh, of how we collect data for those specific populations, and we there's a lot of potential for that to pay off with some further analysis. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jessica. We are coming to the end of our time. It's amazing. Uh, the <laughs> discussion just uh, went flew by very quickly. Um, I think before I, I go around, I do want to take one final question, Agnes. Um, at the top of the, at the, at the, uh, the session, we talked about how this was a big collaborative effort. Um, and so I wanted to, to, to end with a, a critique. Uh, one common critique of women's empowerment metrics is that these are based on Western concepts of feminism and do not pay attention to concepts from the global South. Um, how, how would you respond to that? Thank you, Hazel. Um, I think it's a misconception that attempts to measure empowerment only reflect um, concepts from Western feminism, at least in the way that uh, the team developing the WEA has conceptualized and measured empowerment. We have placed very important, we have placed a lot of importance on decisions that are made jointly in the usual way that Western feminism is characterized. There's a lot of emphasis on autonomy and making decisions by yourself. But we realize that in many of our own societies, I am a Filipino myself, a very collectivist society, many important decisions are made jointly together with one's spouse or with one's family members. So we, we account for that in our definitions of empowerment and our measures of empowerment have also been refined by a lot of qualitative methods, which explore the ways that um, people themselves envision empowerment. Thank you. Thank you so much, Agnes. Um, and I do wanna say that there is a huge, huge team behind, behind this uh, effort. Um, I wanna give one, before I close it out, uh, does anybody else have any final words to wanna, who want to chime in? Yes, Agnes. Um, I'll. I do actually. Um, one thing we learned from the WEA was that the important thing was to use it. It wasn't perfect. We use it. We improve it. And I think that's a lesson we want to bring to women's. For women's to be useful to you, you have to use it, and you help us improve it by pointing out what went well and what didn't go well as you were using it. I think this is a collective effort and I think um, we owe it to ourselves to use the metric really as at scale and as widely as possible. Thank you. Thank you so much, Agnes. I think that's the, the perfect uh, tone to, to, uh, to end with. We do have quite a lot of work ahead of us. We're looking forward to collecting these in these upcoming surveys, but there, there are a lot of other refinements that we envision uh, that we will continue to do as we uh, as we learn more about, about empowerment in these countries. So thank you all. Thank you everyone to our presenters, to our, to our panelists. Um, I invite everyone to please check out our online resource center on wea.ifpre.info slash women's, where you can download the questionnaire and find out more information. So thank you everyone to our, pro uh, thank you to our program participants and to our live audience for joining us today. I also want to acknowledge IFPRI's communications and public affairs team for their excellent support as always. And with that, um, thank you all. Please enjoy the rest of your day. Bye everybody.